Welcome to another edition of the Always Be Testing Podcast with your host, Ty DeGrange. Get a guided tour of the world of growth, performance marketing, customer acquisition, paid media, and affiliate marketing. We talk with industry experts and discuss experiments and their learnings in growth, marketing, and life. Time to nerd out, check your biases at the door, and have some fun talking about data-driven growth and lessons learned. Welcome to the Always Be Testing podcast. I'm your host, Ty DeGrange, and I'm super stoked to have Kenise Murphy join us today. What's up, Kenise? Hey, Ty. Thanks for having me on, and I hope your day is going well. It is. It's a Friday. It's a sunny in, in Austin, Texas. Go figure. A little hot, but ready for the Labor Day weekend. It's going to be good. I bet. Um, you're a baseball fan, aren't you? I am. All right. Well, just a, a fun fact. I was at the uh, Giants game here in San Francisco this week on Tuesday night Ooh. where the pitcher carried a no-hitter into the bottom of the ninth inning only to have it broken up with uh, two with with one out left to go. Uh, such as life. But it was really, really wild and really cool to be there and get to experience that and in the ballpark. And it's just uh, something you don't get every day. And it's funny because... Uh, it just always reminds me of the saying, you can't predict baseball. And that's a pretty good segue into what we're going to be talking about today, right? So like with programmatic and things like that. <laughs> I saw what you did there. Just just brought it all the way through. Yeah, to be in a ballpark when there's anything close, to, remotely close to a no-hitter, I mean, what, is there maybe average, what, two or three a year at most, right? Maybe one. Some years, Some years maybe have like, you're talking like counted on your hand at best, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because I kept I kept saying to the person I was with, I kept saying, pitcher's kind of up there in age and he's throwing a lot of pitches. What's going on? And he would like make a scowl at me and then point to the <laughs> scoreboard and keep reminding me that that like you know there's a no hitter going on, but you can never talk about a no hitter while it's going on. That ruins everything. But then in the ninth inning, all the all the fans rose to their feet and then two outs and then just, you know, it gave up that hit, but it was still something really special. So glad I was there. I love it. I, I tuned in on audio and, and got to see the, the sad disruption of the no hit of the no hitter. I'll admit from, from Texas later in the evening. And uh, I was, I was sad, but also impressed that he was able to take it through, get the shutout. When the guy like looked at you and gave you the scowl, it reminded me of, uh, there's an old saying, baseball is like church. Many attend but few understand. <laughs> it's a good segue into our conversation today. Many try to do programmatic, if you understand it. But yeah, baseball is near and dear, I think, for, for us. Your Orioles are doing well also, so kudos. What's the deal? Why? Why are they doing well? Well, I think when you're, yeah. when you're chronically bad for 20 years, eventually you're going to string together a decent run of draft picks. And uh, they've done that, and it's really great to see them succeed, but it's also sad because they are... Their ownership group is just not, they are not baseball people and they do not understand that they are toying with people's emotions, mm. what that means to the, to the proud people of Baltimore. So, so I wish them lots of luck, but you know, I'm always, I'm always worried that, you know, it's fleeting, right? Yeah. Maybe one day we'll, we'll pull a, a the dream and uh, pull together a ragtag group to uh, bring the team to the people and make it 
and make a movie out of it like uh, Ryan Reynolds. Right, exactly. One, let's save that money. Yeah. And put our ducats and bitcoins together to see what we can come up with here. We'll need a lot of programmatic to do that. So with that, Kenis is an amazing guy, amazing friend, uh, knows the sport of baseball, knows about programmatic. He's been featured at such companies as AdBright, Yahoo, Conversant, and uh, a little shop called Google. Maybe you've heard of them. But maybe, Kenis, you can help us. The audience, I'm sure some of them don't know what programmatic advertising exactly means. And maybe you could help kind of just break down some of the some of that. What is it? Yeah. So what programmatic advertising does is make good on the promise of buying the right person with the right message at the right time. And if you think about how we used to do marketing, if I was Rolex and I wanted to reach my demographic, my best bet was to was to buy an ad in the finance section of the Wall Street Journal. And there was a pretty good chance I was going to be hitting my target demographic. What Programmatic has done to expand on that is take that concept and say, okay, send a message, send an ad to people who actually visited my site, who have expressed an interest in my site. Or as we think about some of the more predictive things that have happened over the last couple of years, market to people who I think would be interested in Rolex watches. Mm -hmm. So the industry has come a long way in terms of the, you know, the technical capabilities to make this possible. A lot of that is obviously thanks to computers and our ability to understand and share very minute little pieces of information very quickly before a page loads so that uh, when a person visits, visits a certain site, ideally they can see a message that is somewhat relevant to them. That's awesome. That's super helpful. What are the kind of brands that are kind of tapping into this well, in your opinion, and maybe some that, that maybe aren't, but, but should be, I'm curious to kind of get a sense of like, who are the players and in, in, in the space and maybe some of the other parts of the ecosystem yeah. that people might find interesting. Sure. So, um, so again, I think there's, there's lots of different flavors of, of marketing and programmatic, and the space has evolved immensely, right? Primarily, the, the initial space was about remarketing, right? And that's just the idea of someone visited my site, there's a pretty good chance if they came here, or they got to a certain point on my site, I want to show them that message again, and again, and again, because there's a very strong indicator based on the fact that they were at a certain point on my site, that they are close to or very interested in buying something that has evolved. And with that, you see lots more marketers of all ilks, right? So you've got your your legacy consumer brands who've been around for you know a hundred years. You've got mm-hmm. the emerging direct to consumer space who is extremely mm-hmm. digitally savvy. Mm-hmm. And it's a you'll also think of programmatic as something that you can use to expand on your existing if you're doing lots of search, if you're doing lots of specific. Yep. I call it. Uh, Big destination marketing. So if you're buying lots on YouTube, if you're buying lots on Facebook or TikTok, Instagram, etc., I think we're at the point now where everyone universally recognizes that you kind of have to be in this space and you can't ignore it because, again, there have been so many advances that it's um, that there's something there for everyone yep. um, or every type of marketer, regardless of where they happen to be in their funnel in terms of the types of users they're trying to market to. 
right? So it used to be a very lower funnel marketer experience, and that has since broadened and will continue to broaden to yeah. going up the funnel, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. And it reminds me of other other performance marketing levers and channels that talk about that too. So with with programmatic and, and the term display marketing sometimes, right? Is there kind of a misconception or what do you say to people that might say like, well, it's just just banner ads or something like that? Is is that even a misconception? I think one of the things that we always talk about, click rates, things like that. And it, it's funny. Yep. You talk to people and it's like, oh, I never click on those ads. But, but it's like, you've clicked, you've clicked on things before. We've all clicked on things. A <laughs> hundred, I do it all the time, clothing stuff, lounge wear, yep. right? Comfort is key. As you do. Uh, the, these days. So there's definitely something there for everyone. Yep. If it's, it's, there's lots of different flavors to it, whether you're a mobile marketer first, yeah, right? Whether it's an app play, right? There's yeah. a programmatic opportunity there. Whether you are, you know, it, it goes just so much beyond um, display banners. And if you think about some of the other evolutions that are taking in the space, like things like AI and how they have become, that technology has become extremely powerful in packaging up the message and doing the different permutations of what seems to work and resonate with, with consumers versus, um, mm-hmm. versus the messages that don't, and you're seeing lots of things there. So I think it's, it's a matter of what type of marketer are you? How are you wielding it? And then where do you need to be? Because there's something there for everyone. And it, you know, it goes into video and we're seeing this massive expansion into into CTV, which is pretty much just call it TV at this point, right? Because yeah. you know, with the with the emergence of the smart TV, it's completely upended the traditional models of how yeah. legacy TV buying used to work. So yeah. programmatic has a f- all 10 fingers and all 10 toes deep in the pie of digital marketing. And there's probably something there for everyone. Yeah, that's a valid point. I think that's fair. What are some of the outcomes that brands and advertisers get out of like programmatic as opposed to maybe if we think about paid search as a separate entity for this conversation, maybe paid social as a separate entity for this conversation, maybe like partnerships, influencers separately. I know those worlds are converging and those silos are breaking down a little bit more to your point, but for maybe that section of a brand that's kind of categorizing, you know, five or six key channels for their brand and their performance marketing, what are some of the results that you've seen in programmatic maybe versus some of these other performance marketing levers? What types of outcomes do you kind of see possible from from some of this this stuff? Yeah, um, that's a great, great question that can go in a lot of different directions. And I'll start with this. So one of the things that we are constantly talking about is like, okay, what is your expectation, right? So if you are a traditional search marketer and you are trying to dip a toe into display, you are probably not going to see the exact same intent-driven performance that you'll see with a channel like search. But that doesn't mean there's not a lot of value there, right? Because at some point, you will reach the point of not diminishing, but it's just you you can only get so much out of that channel at a certain point. So you need to be thinking about what, um, mm-hmm. about what other channels you can, you can deploy. I think what we're also talking about with outcomes is that that is really going to be a soul searching conversation you need to have with your customer to go back to and align those expectations totally and understand exactly what you, what is your core thing, right? And this is where we go kind of go back to the funnel 
you know, if we're really focused mm-hmm. on just bottom line cost per install or acquisition type outcomes, you're going to want to have a really good balance of understanding what channels are working the best for you. And then what are the complementary mm-hmm. strategies that we are seeing? Mm-hmm. One of the things I'd add on to that is that with all of the recent changes, with regulatory changes and some of the different browser changes that are taking place, there is yep. a lot less data to be able to kind of link together to say, hey, this event, this person clicked on this ad and then this person went to the checkout page and bought X item. So what we're seeing is less ability to understand exactly what drove a specific transaction. And what that's requiring is people to really get into and lean into um, experimentation and to think about an outcome for one channel might look a little bit different for an out- an, of, than an outcome for another channel. You're seeing that a lot as, as marketers kind of begin to rethink what they need to do to change in terms of how the landscape around us is changing. And it's not going to stop yeah. changing, right? We're going to see more regulatory. Yeah. We are going to see more Chrome is set to deprecate third-party cookies in the not-too-distant future. And that looks like it's probably mm-hmm. going to happen um, at some point next year. And that's going to continue to change the types of outcomes that marketers can rely on in terms of how they're reporting back on what's driving their business. Yeah, no, I love that. And it'll be interesting to see who responds to that and who's prepared for that. What are some of the counsel that you're seeing out there that you think is helpful for for brands to be prepared for that coming change, to be prepared for that privacy wave that you're talking about with browser changes and limits to the visibility of what we can, you know, what's available for retargeting and for other other uh, data data visibility. What are some of the best practices or the coaching that you're seeing that that kind of resonates with you? Or how are you counseling clients on it? So I think one of the things is like, know your baselines today, right? What are you seeing today? So the, the thing that I would say on top of that is like, you've already been impacted. Privacy browser changes have already impacted your business, especially if you're a, a global customer and you operate within the the European economic area, right? So you've already seen this, but like, what is your baseline today? Because uh, you still have lots and lots of information which you can work with, right? But what, but you might not have that in the future. So if you understand what your baseline is today, you can then begin to think about what the gaps are. You still have to grow your business. You still have to acquire new customers. You still have to reduce mm-hmm. the churn of new customers mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's always kind of starting with like establishing that baseline. Where are you? And then, all right, what are the levers available to me to fill in the gaps? And, you know, there's not going to be a single magic answer. There's not going to be a yep. single magic, you know, the old silver bullet that's going to be like, ah, this, this kind of solves everything. That's not going to happen. It will be yeah. a combination of things. And so this is where the experimentation stuff really, really, really kind of lean, kind of becomes a, a, a critical lever to lean on. And mm-hmm. the marketers that build in a culture of experimentation will have the best outcomes and will be able to not only manage through some of the data loss that we see, but also thrive in, in a new world order. So, so they should always be testing. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. For lack of a better little yeah. plug. Where are we today? And then what and then what can we spin up? And I think this is just like this this mindset, right? Is is really 
at the core of a lot of the education that I think we're seeing or that we're trying to do and I do in my day to day. It's like, what do you, you know, what are you trying to achieve? It's the, a lot of the, the, the old questions of what are you trying to achieve? Where does your information live now? Yeah. And then where are you trying to get it to so that you can be more effective with it? And then where are the gaps along the way? And if we can identify those things, we're halfway there. And then what type of culture of experimentation do I need to embrace, you know, in order to, to thrive in this world? Love it. That's a good point. And my hypothesis is there's like a ton of brands, surprisingly, that are not yet adopting the level of experimentation culture that they need to, to compete. Is that, do you agree? Do you see that? 1000%. I mean, again, you have different marketers at different stages, right? Some are very nascent. And I think a lot of it depends on kind of like, what are the different frameworks, right? And and how did they build up practices within their organizations? And this is something that you've, this is something that we've seen. The marketing people historically have been very, very separated and very siloed from a lot of the IT people, right? Like the analytics mm-hmm. people and like the analytics people can be very salty when they have to share information because that is a segment of the business that they control. That is something that's important to them. And so when we see companies kind of break down those silos and begin to think more holistically about, about kind of pulling in all of the different pieces of information that are available to them and bring those to bear and make those work effectively, even if they're just thinking about what needs to happen to make that happen, right? That's a step in the right direction. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's that old saying about everybody thinks everybody else is doing it. Everybody thinks they're doing it better than them. Literally no one knows mm-hmm. what they're doing. I mean, I think, you know, that can be said here as well. There's lots of people, or lots of different marketers on lots, lots of different rungs of the journey. But has mm-hmm. anyone, has any one marketer mastered it or, or any one digital agency completely figured it out? No, no. Long way to go. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, well said. Of those that you're counseling and not necessarily, you know, naming names now, but are there examples out there that you see in the programmatic ads world where you're like, tip of the cap, sir, like that's a phenomenal execution. That's a great way to think about testing. It's a great way to think about creative. Is there any anyone in particular that you kind of look to and say, okay, they seem to be on the right track? Yeah, I'd say one of the things that we see that's just that that can be very valuable is to organize as much of your stuff and that can mean a lot of different things but organize your business practices in as many places as possible so in many ways this can mean marketing consolidation when and where you can buy certain channels in through specific platforms that tends to be a good a good practice mm-hmm. recognizing that you're go- the the world has kind of expanded and narrowed all at once you have the large open web, and that is still a very valuable channel. And then you have kind of, again, you have our our unique butterflies, the YouTubes, mm-hmm. the TikToks, the Instagrams, which are absolutely must market channels for most marketers. So what we also see too is the Promise of Prog- Programmatic gives you this ability to buy lots of different channels, but really do it in a efficient way. We haven't talked about like acronyms and stuff like that, but uh, you've got all of these different types of inventory, be it CTV, be it video, be it traditional display, be it even native and text and all kinds of different display types. 
Mm-hmm. Being able to buy those in one place can create a lot of value and a lot of efficiency. Mm-hmm. And then it's really incumbent upon the person doing that buying just go and look and see, well, okay, what's working, what's not, right? What channels need to be expanded into? Where should we be moving our investment around? Mm-hmm. And this is where programmatic, again, it makes good on this promise of a lot of predictive capability that lets you that lets you spend money dynamically based mm-hmm. on what's working the best. So you don't have to say, okay, five grand for search, five grand for display, five grand for video. Let's see what happens at the end. You get the ability to kind of move. Yeah. Give it the ability to, to move dynamically. Uh, and spend based on where you're seeing performance. And again, that goes back to understanding your goals. Out of curiosity for people, maybe not in the inside baseball world of it, how often are these changes being made? You kind of alluded to like, hey, you got a 5K tranche that's being allocated here and there, and we're going to run it till the end of the week to see what's going on. But it sounds like with programmatic, these decisions are make, happening much faster than weekly, much faster than daily. Can you elaborate on the speed at which some of those decisions are being made? Yeah, it's fast. So I think if there is a call that happens to a someone who's selling a piece of inventory and the bidding engine is deciding, deciding whether or not they're going to buy that impression and they need to do that within a hundred milliseconds. So a lot happens in a hundred, a lot, lot happens in a hundred milliseconds. I'm trying to think of like some, uh, the blink of an eye, but it's even faster than that. So if you think about all these things that are happening, Theoretically, what that does is free up time for you to go and theoretically experiment more, right? Or, or understand mm-hmm. or spend a lot more time doing analysis and not kind of be back and forth manually adjusting the knobs and levers. Yes, their optimization is absolutely key. Mm-hmm. But again, this is one of the, one of the, the primary benefits of programmatic is that it does a lot of the decisioning, especially around bidding. Yeah. And especially around kind of different flavors of audience targeting, you can do that in a much more streamlined way and have lots of baked in experiments as, you know, right off the bat. That's awesome. And maybe just finishing that thought around, you know, the speed is clearly there, gives you more insights, gives you more chance to experiment across a number of different variables. Maybe what's an example of like an experiment that you're just really a fan of from a, from a programmatic view it doesn't have to be like all the many variables, you know, it doesn't have to be every variable, but what's like a, what's one that you just think is like, oh, if you're doing that, you're doing the right thing. And you're probably going to get a good learning out of that experiment if you're XYZ brand trying to grow and, and, and scale programmatic. One of the things that's emerged relatively recently is um, this idea of the predictive modeling. So this is, let's say I'm an insurance marketer. Let's say I'm a, I'm a cell phone marketer, right? And somebody's mm-hmm. on their plan. Yep. They have been very smart marketers for a long time. And one of the things that they're paying a lot more attention to is what is the likelihood that one of my customers is going to churn? No one's out there waving their hand being like, I'm done. I'm done. That is not a signal that, mm-hmm. that these types of marketers can easily capture. Um, but with all the different data points that exist around that entire, and if you think about the volume and the scale that's available, we've seen some interesting things with uh, with kind of the building churn models and things like that. But the thing that I want to highlight there is that the barrier to entry to execute these things has come way down over the last few years, right? And so what you're seeing is a lot more of these kind of data science practices be built up right alongside of your existing kind of go-to-market 
marketing strategies. That's really cool. Yeah, it just seems like the continued democratization of all out of the attribution, lift studies, incrementality conversations. We've had some really good conversations on this pod about it. It sounds like you're you're observing that in a big way. Yeah, and I'd say the the thing that I would close with there is is what is the um, when you go back to kind of I mentioned baselines in the beginning. Think long term, right? What we're trying to do is create a relationship with the product and the consumer in a lot of ways. So, what is the long term value, the lifetime value of that relationship? And that varies immensely from product to product. Some things are short consideration, some things are longer consideration. But you're seeing this a lot more where where brands are trying to create much more of a one to one relationship and saying, look, we are going to be good stewards of your data. We are going to be responsible marketers. Uh, we value this relationship. And in exchange, let us know what you like. And we will try to deliver experiences that are meaningful you, meaningful to you as a as a consumer. That's awesome. That's super helpful. Yeah, and maybe switching gears a little bit. We've talked a ton about your observations and programmatic experiments and kind of delving more into the life stuff. So you've had an awesome career in various great companies in the programmatic space. Maybe I think folks would love to hear just some of your observations, especially folks that are newer in their career in digital and performance marketing. What are maybe some of the learnings and experiments from your career perspective for Kinesis and you're navigating some very interesting and great roles. What, what do you got for us? Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully at one point I'll figure out kind of what I want to be when I grow up. Right. I think that's something that all of us kind of think about every single day. Mm-hmm. I think there's lots of people who have a much better idea of what they want to, what they want to be. I was not one of those people. And when I started in, we'll call it advertising, I sold print advertising. And this was, I did that up until around 2004. And what I saw on that was kind of the writing on the wall that like the digital advertising revolution was going to, was going to change the print world very much. And it absolutely did, um, especially in the newspaper world, which is where I was. And that's kind of what kept me close to this. I was like, okay, if that's the where it's headed, this is where I should, you know, since I still don't have any idea what I want to do with my life, this is where I should, I should probably stick with this because <laughs> I have a basic idea. And then again, that change of, of, of this kind of legacy analog print experience to the digital experience where, you know, this beautiful promise of accountability, how many impressions did somebody see? How many clicks did, uh, did the campaign get? And eventually, once we started tracking conversions and things like that, you had all of this beautiful, mm-hmm. accountable information. So much data. So much data. So many options. And it's exploded uh, from there. That's cool. It's been quite a journey. And the I'd say the one thing that I, that I do enjoy about this space is the fact that it is constantly changing, right? The thing that you are doing one day is not the neck or, you know, you're not doing that the next. And we've seen these monumental shifts mm-hmm. happen, right? We've seen, uh, we've seen this happen with, um, you know, the rise of the internet. Oh, great. The world's information is instantly accessible, right? Then along came the phone and it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. The world's information can be stored in my pocket and I can take it anywhere I want. And oh, by the way, I can talk to anybody I want anywhere. And I think now we're kind of entering one of these other big fundamental seismic shifts with uh, with the arrival of uh, generative AI. 
And, you know, AI has been around for a long time in lots of different flavors, but you're, you know, we're seeing an entirely new world with a lot of interesting possibilities. So we see a lot of this applied in the advertising world, at least through predictive AI, and then we'll see how generative AI kind of changes this down the line. So really interesting time to be close to this. Yeah, that's like amazing. I mean, do do you think is, is AI kind of the answer for the so many questions I have and directions, but is AI the answer for the lack of signal we're getting through privacy? So is, is AI the step in and, and enables marketers to see enough and be predictive without giving the secret sauce away? I think one of the things, you know, again, going back to those baselines, understanding what assets we have access to, being smart about the change management required to make sure we've got all of our ducks in a row from a marketer point of view as possible. That gives you that kind of that seed, that baseline, right? And then from that, this is where the world is going to have to lean into kind of more of a, a more of a, a modeled future, right? And understand, okay, what does we'll need to have modeling to fill some of the conversion gaps. And again, I think there'll be different flavors of that. And I think it's important to understand, again, this is why it's really important to experiment now to understand kind of where you are now and then what those gaps actually look like and how much do I need to rely on modeling in the future. And most people will tell you, you know, the better the garbage in, garbage out, right? The better the source data, the better the model Mm -hmm. and the more reliable it can be. So I think many marketers understand this and they are really working on, you know, rewards like hygiene and fidelity and things like that in terms of how they manage, manage their information and then how they're able to kind of bring it to bear, but nailed it with the modeling thing. Like it's, it's here and it's here to stay. Yeah. I love it. You know, that transition you talked about back when you were working in print the old days, you know, I, I, did a stint there too before getting into digital with you and back in the day. And do you think that that transition from print to digital is going to be, is AI just massively bigger? Do you think it's similar? Do you think, what are your thoughts? I think in the terms of the shift, it's going to be massive. I mean, um, you know, I don't know if you, if they're in Austin yet, but we have the autonomous cars driving all over San Francisco. It's quite a, thing, you know, there's lots of people saying, Hey, some of these aren't so safe. We're kind of worried. You have people mm-hmm. that are, you know, lining up, all of them have wait lists in terms of people that want to sign up for these services. So you're seeing already the ways that these things are impacting our world in a very real and tangible way. I think the, I think the one thing that I would emphasize is that I am not ever probably going to be a Python or C++ engineering whiz. Mm-hmm. And so I can't just go use AI to turn me into a, you know, a master engineer. But what I can do mm-hmm. is use it to, to simplify and speed up some of the day-to-day tasks that I'm doing. And I mean, that can be as basic as help me construct this email, help me get meeting notes out and order them in the different priorities all kinds of different stuff you can, I mean, that's like the basic kind of administrative stuff that goes into a lot of things, but it's about making the things that you can already do, do them better and do them faster. And I think we'll continue to see some of these really big seismic shifts. And I think also there's still a tremendously long way to go. I think there's a lot of hype right now. And I think it's, it's 
some of it is warranted, but it yeah. takes a while to get there. Reminds me of the beginnings of the internet, which we, we sort of witnessed in our senior age and um, not all of it, but you know, the winners that were thought to be winners initially did not shake out that way, which you and I know all too well. That I imagine will play out with AI. Yeah, yeah. But there are winners. There's always winners, right? And so, you know, we see always. we see the different we see the different flavors of that. And, you know, we have the you know, we have the benefit of being able to go back and look at that. It's yep. kind of hard, right? Going back to the no hitter thing that we were talking about. Sometimes when you're in the moment, you're like, there's a lot going on here, but I'm still just watching a baseball game. You don't realize, you know, what the gravity of a thing is because you're so deeply immersed in it. So it's good to be aware of, but I certainly wouldn't walk around talking about how it's going to, it's here and it's completely landed. And there's a long way to go with, uh, with how that plays out. Yeah. Valid. Just look at the results. Sometimes when you, when you test out the uh, prompts in the uh, chat GPT or Bard, they're not always going to give you the right answer. You got to kind of edit, review, improve, and uh, hopefully, you know, we're, we're not uh, replaced just yet. There's a lot of refinement that, that takes place for sure. So yeah, and I think you actually just said something that's really, that comes up a lot. I just don't see, I don't see a scenario. Yes, there will be some tasks and some jobs that will be automated out. And I, that's a function of how the world operates, but I don't see this scenario where as a, somebody who works in the marketing world, AI comes and takes my job. I look at it as something that is a companion that helps me actually do things better. And, uh, but I still need to manage that as the, as the owner of that program. Love it. Can't let the machines run the entire operation. No way. Yeah, really important question. I think a lot of people are curious about, are the Ravens going to break the Niners' hearts yet again in the Super Bowl this year? I hope so, but it's... uh, I really hope so. Ooh, I I gotta... But football's hard. A lot of injuries, a lot of of unknown unknowns, you know? So... It's uh, it's strikes and gutters and any given Sunday, you know, all your tropes and downs hold true. I would love to see it. I'm really excited about Lamar Jackson. I think they've got an interesting offensive core. I think their defense is uh, okay. I worry about their ability to pressure the quarterback, which I feel like is just an absolute must have if you're going to succeed in the modern NFL game. But I'm, uh, I'm forever optimistic, but I'm not, uh, I'm not I'm not holding my breath on any magic happening. I'll be cautiously optimistic. I like that. Who are you drafting? Who are you avoiding? Who's on your hot list? Oh man. So fantasy base or fantasy football. I'm not even done with fantasy baseball yet, which you know, I don't know if I should talk about that publicly, but uh, <laughs> let's maybe save that for another episode. Right. A lot of what I've learned about uh, the lessons of digital advertising and baseball go hand in hand. You generate lots and lots of data and you get lots of points to look at. And I'm not the one crunching the data. I'm just making decisions with the information that I have. And based on that, I, uh, you know, I'm taking running backs early and I'm taking running backs and wide receivers and quarterbacks late. That has been a winning strategy for many years. And, uh, it's all about staying alive. Served you well. Staying alive in the survivor pool. That's the, I think that's the most fun because that's, Every week, it's just uh, win and move on or lose and go home. Yeah. Every week's a Super Bowl and a Survivor Bowl. You know, that's a lessons in life there, too. You know, <laughs> <Gotta>. <laughs> so 
you're a dad. You got two adorable boys. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit newer to the dad game. What's your secret? How do you uh, how do you stay sane and and manage it all, Kenise? Let's see. Lots of uh, veggies, uh, earplugs when I sleep. Veggies for you. Veggies for the kids. What's going uh, for on? me, for me, you know, so okay. sleep is your, you know, sleep is your friend. I probably need to increase my veggie intake. Doesn't, doesn't hurt to do that To Sleep is the thing. And I think one of the things I would say is, uh, so balancing the work, right? So parenting equity is something that I care a lot about. And uh, dads have better lives when they share more of the load or, you know, anybody who's in a caregiver situation when you can when you are able to kind of share the different responsibilities and things like that, I think it, it makes for a, a more functioning household. And, you know, I think one of the things too, is like, let the kids have some fun. We are not those dogmatic parents who tell them you'd spend too much time on screens. Screens are a part of our world, right? So you got to choose your, got to choose your battles and would seem high and mighty. Yeah. Right. We all have flashbacks to parents yelling at us about being on the telephone. Right. But like, Technology's there. They should master it. Too close to the television. Right. That's a whole different that is bad parenting, right? You should not be so close to the to the thing that uh yes, that damn it. That will that will have long long term and negative impacts for sure. Kenise Murphy, great, great human, always there to support teammates, friends, family, and uh really appreciate you jumping on the pod to talk experiments, talk baseball programmatic ads. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. I would say thank you so much for inviting me. I'd say if there's one magical takeaway from all of this, I would say if you don't have a culture of experimentation, you need to change that culture. And so what is the change management that your organization needs to think about in order to build a culture of experimentation around everything you do? I love that music to my ears. And um, where can folks find you if they want to learn more about all things Kinesis. Jeez, I don't know. I maintain a pretty low profile, but I'm on uh, LinkedIn. Kinesis Murphy. Lovely. All one word. Maybe they'll run into you at the next no hitter at Giants uh, baseball. It was really something. It was really cool. I've never, I've never been. I've been uh, complete game shutout, but I've never been like all the way to the last batter of the game. And it was just, it, it was wild. You can feel it. You can absolutely feel it. Like I'm still feeling it, just talking about it. So. That's amazing. I'm glad you got to experience it. Hopefully another opportunity arises. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Can't wait to see you again in uh, the Bay Area and um, have an awesome, long, relaxing Labor Day weekend. Thanks, everybody. Will do. All right. Thanks, Ty. 